Emily, Caitlin, do you think I'm funny? I think sometimes you say things that make me laugh really hard. Are they intentional? (laughs) Sometimes yes, sometimes no. But I do think because we spend so much time together, obviously we enjoy each other's company and like there are some mutual laughs about things and we have a lot of fun, but I do think every once in a while, and I wish on this spot, I could come up with a really great example, but one of us will say something and the other one just gets like a really big kick out of it. (laughs) And it's like, it is very true. We do. I think we all laugh a lot. We do all laugh a lot. Like, Like, I don't know if either one of us would be put in like the, they're funny category. Yeah. Do you like want to be, be funny? I think I Am do, I hurting but your I feelings? If so, I'm really no, sorry. No, no. You're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you did not hurt my feelings. I would like to be whatever the category is. I don't know what the word is. Like generally funny. Like you, like what I just said, like we laugh a lot around each other. Like I don't think it's like jokes. Like I've been listening to Smartless a lot. And mm-hmm. like all three of them are very funny and they know they're funny and they like set each other up for jokes and they have like longstanding jokes about each other golf and things Sean Hayes's eating habits and these things um that I do think every once in a while we get a little too close to something sensitive if you make a joke about something enough it's like no that's not funny anymore like that hurts my feelings um it happens in most parts of my relationship we had to work through a lot of sarcasm situations because I come from a sarcastic family and I do not take sarcasm well Uh I feel like Uh, shocking to no one that knows me yeah um, sometimes when Emily tries to be sarcastic, it's really me. I was just going to say that I also don't deliver sarcasm very well. And honestly, it's, that's funny because it's not something that I do on a regular basis in general, but I feel like recently, especially via text message, text messages and emails, I'll start to like give a kind of sarcastic response to someone and I'll stop and I'll be it like, doesn't translate well not, via email for sure definitely doesn't translate well and also I'm like it's just not gonna land no I will say that I I am somebody who is sarcastic I've toned it down over the years because it is based in it depends on who you're doing it with because it can just be mean if you don't have a basis for said joke um but I don't think it works in print unless you're like real good at it and the people know each other really well because yours out loud sometimes I feel like it's usually when I'm being sarcastic and she doesn't think it's funny but maybe other people do and then you try to then be sarcastic back to me and it is a deep cut <laughs> yeah it's not my We've best side I wish I wish there was an example that I know could give I, you know I don't want to it's probably better that it's there's probably not. Yeah, that but- there's not sarcasm definitely not my strong suit silly 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 yeah and there's some teasing yeah which you have do you have to be careful with you do just in general with you just have to know that the other person accepts whatever you're teasing them about themselves yeah and it's not like something they're insecure about which is the same with sarcasm like if it's an actual pressure point it's not going to land very well um, but all of this conversation is in relation to today's podcast release, which is called Funny AF, and it is presented by Universal Studio Group. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about our partners. Yeah. Um, not like super long, but we do have a lot of studio network platform streaming partners at the festival. In fact, they kind of make the whole thing run, in my opinion. Um, 
for those in business, they're called endemic partners to us. They are our endemic because we are a television festival. So when we are sponsored or partnering with anybody who makes television, they are like in our category. Non-endemic would be Southwest Airlines. They don't make TV. They don't. Um, but this was our first time working with Universal Studio Group. And whenever we do have partners, we always start. It's always a little bit of a fine line because like we need their help as a smaller event. And sponsorships really keep the whole thing running. And so we are not pay to play programming wise for our shows, but there are certain placements or marketing elevation, i.e. putting something like presented by on it that is a sponsorship. So this one, Universal Studio Group sponsored. And the thing that I like about it is we are still very, we don't just give somebody if they're going to sponsor a panel or a screening, we don't just give them a day and a time and say, whatever you want to put in there is fine. We have a conversation about programming it and what fits for us. And this year, Universal Studio Group overall really came to play. Um, and they have shows on all different types of platforms, but then obviously for themselves, Peacock and NBC, USA, sci-fi, that sort of thing. And this is the culmination of their partnership with us, but they also, you know, brought us Angeline with uh, Emmy Rossum and uh, Rutherford Falls. And they just really involved themselves in a way that I think is particularly cool because as a studio, we don't get that type of interaction very often, but Universal Studio Group really wanted to represent all the things that they make and the things that potentially you don't realize they aren't just NBC. So this panel was that culmination where we pulled people from a variety of different types of shows that they make. Um, Phil Augusta Jackson, who's the creator, showrunner, writer, and EP of Grand Crew. Craig Robinson, who's EP and cast of Killing It, also The Office. Uh, X Mayo, cast member of American Auto. Ed Helms, co-creator, EP, and cast member of Rutherford Falls, also The Office. Liza Koshi, creator and judge of Dancing With Myself, um, and it's moderated by Emily Longretta. But it was just really cool to bring this together with them and talk about what's valuable to them and what would be valuable to us. And it's also sometimes hard to get our partners to understand a diversification of different types of people from different shows on a topic will go really well. And I just think this one was super fun for that reason. Like obviously Ed and Craig knew each other from before. So there's a little bit of ribbing there, but these aren't people who are normally on a panel together. So they just get to talk about being funny and the different types. These are also different types of comedies um, and so it's just a good standing example of what a partnership is and what programming is. And I felt like maybe people didn't know that, like, we didn't just give them an hour block and tell them to have at it. Like Jennifer Morgan and myself were very involved with approving who they asked and working with the moderator and doing all of those things. I wanted to end with a joke, but I, I'm not that kind of funny person. It's, I'm a situationally funny person, so I can't do it, <laughs> but I made Emily laugh. So it still works. Thank you. Thank you. I know. I was like, I feel like my nieces gave some really good jokes on, uh, There's probably a knock, knock joke recently. in there. I'm reading Jimmy Burroughs sitcom, oh. uh, on directing book. And I think that he, I just read a Bob Newhart joke, but it's really long and I'm not going to do it justice. So you guys with that. Funny AF, presented by Universal Studio Group and moderated by Emily Longretta of Variety. All right, guys, thank you so much for doing this today. I'm so excited to, to dive in. And Craig, I want to start with you. 
and I want to start talking about a little bit about this show and what drew you into it because I feel like it's a little bit different from stuff you've done in the past and you've really mastered so many different kinds of comedy. So what was it about this that drew you in? Hello, everybody. Um, we were meeting like pre-pandemic. Uh, uh, Dan, when I say we, I'm talking about Dan Gore, Luke Del Tredici, and uh, Mark Schulman. Dan Gore and Luke are the uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine creative. Right? So we would meet, and this is, you know, this was about me working with people, building a relationship, and then one day Dan Gore and I was like, come on, let's do this. And uh, so we, we met, we had a, f a few different ideas. Uh, they came with some ideas. We meet at John and Vinny's in uh, West Hollywood. So they would come with ideas, and uh, they came with three. I don't remember the other two. They were all great, but they were like, this really happens. This, this uh, python hunting goes on in Florida, and it's amateurs, and they can win an ATV or some shit. And they, um, so so, we, so they, they met, and we talked, and it was like, that. well, that's like you said, different, you know? So that's what really drew me in. And, uh, and they were like, are you afraid of snakes? And uh, I used to be. <laughs> but in 2015, I was with my band in Australia, and we, we, uh, we went to the sanctuary. The church? No, animal sanctuary. Oh, okay. <laughs> Snake church, snake church. <laughs> Church. That's a snake church. Church. Yes. It said hallelujah. Amen. It was a snake in the Bible. It was a snake. But that's what, but that's what I found out. I was like, like they, they put a snake around my neck, and I was like, oh, the snake, why well, it means me no harm. I've been misled by the Bible and Indiana Jones. <laughs> so, yeah, but back to what we was talking about, you know. So it was like, I, I knew I could handle like snakes and play with snakes and stuff and, I, and and it just sounded crazy and I was looking for something too that that had that kind of Larry David feel but with some edge and this 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 gave me all of that I love that I don't know who wants to follow that but um, Ed I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you and kind of talk a little bit about Rutherford Falls and the initials the initial conversations that you were having with the other two excellent creators about launching this and how it kind of came together uh, sure. So the other, my co-creators on the show are Mike Schur and Sierra Teller Ornelas. And uh, we, I think we, we, it started with just a kind of looking around at the world around us and being like, why are, why are people just have being so, such assholes all the time? <laughs> and, and, the, and then, it, and then, you know, you realize that when our identities are challenged in some way, that's when we tend to like just get so defensive and, and angry. And so it felt like a very fertile area for some chuckles. And so that was, I guess, sort of the initial thing. And then um, we, we, we really wanted to tell the story of a white guy sort of with a very rosy view of his history being challenged and getting some sort of reality checks. 
and it felt like pitting that against a Native American narrative, like those those histories and sort of who's controlling those those stories and who's telling those stories, and uh, Sierra it just came in with so much energy and so many ideas about how to flesh that out and. Rutherford Falls was born. Phil, I know you can kind of speak on this. It's something that Rutherford Falls does. It's something that most of the shows up here do is really finds a way to bring comedy to without to also tackle make big issues in the world and things that people are talking about, but also bring comedy to that. So how do you kind of strike the balance between finding the both worlds? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, in the writer's room, it's just about what topics we feel like are interesting to us. And I, honestly, I, I agree with Ed, like there's, there's you know, we all have had a very uh, tough past couple years with the pandemic and things of that nature. And so I think for me personally, I wanted to have a show that was like, oh, you can watch this. It feels like a big old TV hug. I want you to watch it and be like, oh, this just feels good to watch. Uh, but I, I think uh, the idea of doing that and actually talking about some issues don't have to be mutually exclusive. And so the idea was to kind of talk about these things, but imbue it with comedy and fun in a way that kind of sneaks in what the what the actual kind of deeper topic is and brings the funny out without making light of the actual topic at hand. And so I think it's just striking that balance and find, and also I have an amazing cast that we get to get to work and build around. And so um, I think it's just kind of a combination of all those things. And really, it's just this is interesting to us. Let's figure out a funny way to present it, um, and and then see where it goes. X, I mean, that's something we see on American Auto all the time, speaking of a television hug. I mean, c clearly, that is it's such, a, such a fun show. Um, but it also takes on, you know, pretty relevant things that people are talking about every day. What was it for you that made you want to be part of that group? And I wanna, I'm curious also about how much improv you're, you're allowed to do and you are doing, because I feel like you seem like the kind of person who would sneak in. Your no, mind. I'm by the book. I'm, um, <laughs> I say the line, I don't change if to when. Or uh, that to this, I'm thespian. No, honestly, um, truly, uh, I run amok. <laughs> um, but here's the thing, Justin Spitzer makes nothing but the hits. He wrote a little show called Superstore. Um, and yes, they, please clap, because NBC needs to keep us on air. Um, so Justin, he came from the office, hello. A legend. Hi. And so Justin loves improv. He loves people to play. And I think because I played so much in the audition is why I got the role. So Justin doesn't want people that uh, will just take the words and just read them. Obviously, because as an improviser, I don't know, maybe Phil could speak to this too. I think, wait, I think we all maybe are improvisers. Um, if the role, if the, if the words aren't good, if the script is, is shit, I don't improvise because I don't know where the fuck to go. So because the script is truly the house. The improv is the jacuzzi. You mm, can't mm. fucking have I'm a jacuzzi. I'm here for this metaphor. Go ahead. No, seriously. Like so that. I'm like, you want me to have a fucking pool table? We ain't got no foundation in this motherfucker. So can I cuss? I'm cussing. Y'all didn't cuss. You're no, so No, I cursed boys. in my last panel. I, I said fuck. I class. You cussed? Okay. Yeah, I, 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 asked, I asked just like you did, too. Can you say a cuss word? <laughs> well, so the name of the panel is, is Funny AF, which... Yes, yeah, so I feel like we're fine. As fuck, right? So I, oh, okay. I think we're fine. I think we're fine. Oh, you said fuck. Oh, I feel so much better. Okay, so, so yeah, so I play a lot 
And ju the thing is, is that uh, Justin allows me to play, and then all the other people there, we all just want the best joke. So every, um, mostly everybody there, I think with the exception of Michael Benjamin Washington and Ty White, who are amazing, but we need those like, in improv, we say kind of like straight men, we need those actors that kind of like wrangle us like roaches. Like they just, him, Michael Benjamin Washington just does a great job of like keeping the foundation, like keeping us on steady, he's like, Papa. You know, and like we just get to like go and play. So what what attracted me to American Auto was um, the pay. So it was like a lot of people like to be deep. I was an out of work actor, like, baby. Listen, okay. I was. It was. It was tough. I was at the Daily Show. Shout out to Trevor Noah, best boss ever. But I was writing jokes about you know black people getting killed, which if you don't know, it's not that fun and so it's just I was like I need a job so it was like yeah if J Justin he makes nothing but the hits the pay will be great it's NBC who gets to fucking do a network show these days like you know God bless I was two steps away from TikTok like I was like <laughs> what am I gonna do you feel me and TikTok they're talking they're making money they're talking okay so I, I hope I answered your question and I'm, I'm going to put my mic down now. You definitely answered my, my question. Uh, Liza, I want to I shift to you a little. Yo. You're up here on an unscripted show, so it's yes. a little bit different. But I'm curious, because obviously there are eliminations, there are, you know, a little darker things, but you have to bring your wit and comedy to it, and you, well, you don't have to, but oh, you absolutely. do. And you are so witty and so funny. How do you kind of mix that in? Do you go in, like, preparing ahead of time, or is it just... Thank you so much. First of all, I gotta come down from the high that is X. I told her my pupils dilated because I fell in love with her earlier and I know everybody in the audience is too. Like, <laughs> just so brilliant. I would love to have you on Dancing With Myself, which is our show that we had. Ooh, oh my uh, gosh, I'm free, book me. Yay! <laughs> We're on hiatus until September 26th. Yes, thank you. How much will she be paid? Yes. Yes. See, the white man know to ask for the money. God damn it. You can take my check, I'll just volunteer as tribute. You, I got you. <laughs> No, but it's, it's such a fun show, and like we're all speaking about the pandemic in the past couple of tough years that we've been through. Uh, literally, the show's concept and structure mimics exactly what every human was during, doing during the pandemic, minus X, which was TikTok, yeah. which was all of these like dances and choreos and something to lift your spirits, something to do with the family. You know, your living room was your stage, and now we're bringing that stage to everyone's living rooms at home. So, Shakira, the Shakira, Shakira, le, 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 le. she lets me do that now, we're friends, it's okay, it's fine, it's appropriate. Uh, she created this concept with NBC and Nick Jonas, who's a new daddy, shout out to the new dad, uh, he came along and both of them have become my favorite like media personalities and comedians. They're brand new as like, you know, personalities to the space. We know them as pop star sensation icons, but they came in with the commentary, with the comedy and they let me really run loose and like go in, improv, create my own lines. So that was really, really fun to do. And it's such a lighthearted, you know, fun show that just creates relief in the world. And that's what we need. I'm curious what you guys turn to. I mean, a lot of us, I assume a lot of people in this room turn to TV that makes you feel good during the pandemic, during tough times. And you know, a lot of you are on shows like that. What did you guys turn to during the pandemic to make you laugh? Jersey Shore seasons one through four. Some of the best fucking television just white people running amok. I just, I truly love, if you haven't watched Jersey Shore, I swear to God, I literally had a general meeting with MTV and they said, what would you like to do? I said, host Jersey Shore The Reunion. I don't wanna do anything else with you. Like Jersey Shore, it's so good. Um, yes, I love watching that and I love watching giraffes having babies. They come out the ass, it's, it's deep. I watched my octopus teacher 
That was tearjerker. That was emotional. That, that filled my soul up. But you watch a man fall in love with the bottom of the ocean. It was incredible. Yeah, you saw that too? I saw that. Yeah, that was good. He really was into that octopus. He loved that octopus. <laughs> He did, it was questionable. Did he time. have sex with it? The way y'all talking? No. It was like, so platonic. They didn't that show that. If that, if it, that was. It is, yeah. It's kind of implied. I don't know. <laughs> it's, Craig, what, what did you turn to? I started um, to, well, to laugh. I can just turn on American Dad. But um, oh, yeah. I, I, I got into like all these 10 minute podcasts. Just these different, just to be entertained and hear what people's perspectives are. And there's a lot of, like this one, O'Shea Duke Jackson. It's, uh, it's Dr. B.O.A. It's, uh, it's just, and then just, just different stuff. So much stuff you can just learn. And, and so uh, that's what I would do. And, and uh, following politics and shit. I don't know. It, it, was, <laughs> it was just to, to constantly. That's what you did to laugh? It, it was to. To be fed, I just want to be fed. Ed, what about you? Um, I also g got heavy into like slow TV. There was a, dis uh, I think it was Disney or Discovery had a, a whale yes. series. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're so, they're just, they suck you in and, and, and each one I think is an hour and they're about, each episode is about a different whale species. And uh, I know I'm, I'm like really sounding exciting, but the point is, the point is it's not exciting. The point is you get to just sit there and kind of immerse yourself in the world of whales, which is kind of a lot more pleasant than the world of people. Um, but then for some good chuckles, I got really obsessed with Mr. Mayor. I just thought that was so funny and joyful and ridiculous and insane and, uh, and Bobby Moynihan is someone I've always thought is funny, but I feel like he just like kicked it into such a high gear on that show and found a, 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 a comedy groove for himself that was just yeah. awesome. Phil? Yeah, um, I rewatched a lot of Seinfeld. I just really like this, uh, man, they're really silly. I like that. Yeah. Um, also, there's this show uh, Legendary on HBO. Man, that ballroom stuff is, if y'all haven't seen Legendary, check that shit out, because it is so fun. So those are, those are kind of my two kind of comfort, comfort I watches. I feel like some people in here may have, like me, watched some of The Office during the pandemic to make yourself laugh. <laughs> Something I, I find so interesting is that with it now streaming on Peacock, it, uh, it garnered a little bit of a new audience, new people coming in that maybe hadn't watched it when it was on. Um, is that something you guys have experienced? Have you guys noticed that there are new, uh, new people coming up being like, I hadn't watched it before. I don't know how that's possible, but maybe. Yes, uh, a buddy of mine just the other day. So, but it's, you know, it's different. Everybody hasn't seen it. It's not everybody's cup of tea, I suppose. But a buddy of mine was like, he, had, he just hadn't watched it. The pandemic, like his girlfriend was into it, his new girlfriend, and then he started watching it, and he was like, man, I just started watching The Office. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, yeah, but I, it's, it's such a, a gift that keeps on giving. It's like you have friends everywhere you go. Who could have predicted, you know, right, Ed?
right, Craig. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it is funny. There are a lot of people who haven't seen that show before because they're like six years old. And I will say like, it's crazy to be in an airport or something and have like really little kids run up and be like, Andy Bernard or like, or whatever. And, and I'm My like, niece is 13 and she is, she loves, 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 loves The Office. 13 is cool, but little kids, I'm like, you're not <laughs> old enough to watch that show. Not, not that it's like R-rated or anything, but like, but like, do you even get it? Like, do you know what an office is? Or, or what like, you know, uh, yeah, that drone life is like? It, it's, but little kids are watching it and it's, it's kind of crazy. I do think, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of in being a part of that show um, I love what Phil said about your show being uh, like a TV hug. I feel like The Office and Seinfeld and some of these other shows that they just feel like that. And even when I catch an old Office episode or something, I feel that, that embrace. There's something about that, even though it's deeply dysfunctional, that, that little community that you just want to be a part of. We need more TV hugs. I think you guys have some some pretty exciting news to share on that front. Ed, do you wanna you wanna share something? Drum roll, please. <laughs> guys, <laughs> this is exciting. Sometime in July, we will be releasing the on Peacock, the extended cuts of season five of The Office. Whoa. The super fan edition. The super fan. Super fan episodes. So these are probably what the six year old. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Whoa. It's just the extended super fan edition. Slow down. Austin, what the fuck? These are the episodes maybe the six year olds shouldn't watch because they feel like this is what couldn't be on network. Well, yeah, these, so, so these are the cuts that have uh, all X, the stuff. X-rated. Yeah, all the X-rated <laughs> footage that wasn't in the actual episodes. No, um, but it's the stuff that got cut for time, really. So it's, the, it's just these longer episodes. The storylines are a lot more fleshed out. You see a lot of jokes that you, never, that you just never saw before. Um, it was always frustrating, honestly. I don't know how you felt, Craig, but, but the show was so overwritten every week that we would shoot tons of of awesome stuff and then when you see the final cut you're like ah it's good but like what about this stuff what about the, all that other great stuff that got cut and so that's what these episodes are it's all the like that extra stuff that never happens <laughs> well i feel like workplace comedies have been such a big part of you know the comedy world for a long time and they continue to be really they connect people connect to them x i'm curious how you feel about that because now you're a part of a workplace comedy do you think that that, that it just has some sort of staying power that it's going to continue to work yeah i think it's because it's so relatable you know and i think like as far as like with workplace comedies i like to watch them to look for the person that i know to look for who i am and i think that's why 
we've um, been able to see them for so long. And I mean, even with American Auto, what I love is that the people at the top are very fucking dumb. And so you get to see them like, oh yeah, the CEO doesn't know what he's doing, but as someone who's like had a million jobs, I've always had a CEO that didn't know what the fuck they were doing. But you never really get to see that, right? You get to see just like the everyday person, the clerk. But it's like, no, this is like the CEO, the CFO, the person that's in charge of like liability, shipping and control. Like they're all just like losing it. Um, so yeah, I love workplace comedies and I think they're here to stay for a long time. I really like to ask people that are in comedy this, what comedy you wish from the past that you wish you could have been a part of? Martin, period, <laughs> period. Sorry, I, I answered so quickly. I oh, dreamed. A, I've like written a, a spec. A I'm obsessed. <laughs> it's a that's so Raven for me. Yes. <laughs> I'm a very much so a knockoff that's so Raven. Very low budget. Work for free. Raven Simone myself. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I love that growing up. I really feel like that shaped me as a, a comedian in this world. Phil, what about you? I, I would have loved to have written for and Living Color. I think that would have been really, really dope. Seinfeld? I mean, it's an easy answer, but it's a classic. It's a good answer. Craig, how about you? Different strokes. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. I, I wanted to be Arnold Drummond. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? Little black kids. I was like, yeah. I had the hair parted like that. That was probably my first uh, influence, but yeah. Very excited. You've obviously written on some really incredible shows. I'm curious how those experiences have contributed to this show. Uh, every show I worked on, I was just taking nuggets of wisdom from, from the folks I was working with. So my first job uh, was on Key and Peele, the sketch show. Um, Amazing, amazing room, and uh, Jordan and Keegan are geniuses. And so it was cool watching uh, the performative genius of, of, of Keegan on set and how he improvises and works, and then the writing genius of Jordan. Um, and also the way that, like, uh, the room, it, when the room would start in the morning, we'd have what was called a dookie session, which I thought was a very nice way of being like, just throw your shit out there, and whatever, whatever sticks, sticks. You know I what thought I mean? it was very different. <laughs> Like, we all just come together, we take a shit together, and we start the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone like would that. have to take a shit at the same time. Um, and then, yeah, and then I worked on a show called Survivors and Wars with Michael Malley, who's just an amazing leader. Um, and, and then did uh, four years on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is really where I cut my teeth from a story perspective. Um, and then two seasons on Insecure, which is, you know, showrun by Prentice Penny, and then Issa Rae, executive producing. Like, so I've, I've, uh, been fortunate to just be working with people that are really, really incredible, not only incredible at what they do, but really incredible at um, making you feel seen and represented in the room and uh, providing kind of an environment where it's like you just get to share whatever your truth is and whatever idea you have without judgment, which I think makes for the best writer's room. And so I've been trying to replicate that uh, in my room on Grand Coup as well. Um, Liza, I want to I want to come to you and kind of talk a little about your trajectory of your career because you've made a little bit of a shift recently, and I'm curious how that is going and if that's this has always been the goal to be you know be a judge and be an actor and be a yeah. producer. No, this is this is a very very happy accident like my birth was. Uh, <laughs> 
happy to be here, really, truly. But no, I, I, to give more background context, uh, I'm from more of a digital path. So I kind of, you know, we're talking about the workplace and seeing shows in the workplace. Well, the workplace looked like your place to me. It looked like my place, my home. So I, I got started, really, my first set was my bathroom. My second set was my bedroom and then my living room. And that's literally what our show, Dancing With Myself, has become, too. Your first set is your living room. Your career can be in the palm of your hands, and that's... That's so powerful and also so much pressureful too. Yeah, that's a word. Like it's it's a lot to you know you know realize that you can create yourself online and not realize what you know social platforms you end up on can lead to platforms like this. I'm sitting with icons today and I'm so honored to be here. But I've had a very very different path of you know creating and writing and producing and creating sketches online and that led to you know my resume being a digital one that NBC saw and said, hey yeah we trust your voice. We trust that you can come on and lose your shit on camera for us. And I absolutely did. And that, that trust was created with trusting myself, trusting my voice, my story, uh, telling that online unapologetically. I, you know, this is actually the first project that I've been on uh, that I haven't had uh, you know, a producerial approach to. This is some, you know, this is a big puzzle and I'm just a little piece of it. And I'm so honored, but we all love control. And this lack of control has been like, ugh. Refreshing and also muscle tensing. Like, <laughs> it is, it's so fun to come onto set and play a piece and play that role, but it was hard to take that producer hat off of like, oh, you know what, this could go better this way. You know, this, this beat or this comedic beat can play out so much better if we lift this at this time or two seconds faster. You know, so there's that uh, want to, to insert myself in a creative and collaborative way, and NBC was so lovely and did it. Like, they absolutely let me in, they let me have fun, let me play. So I'm grateful that they, they trusted my voice from the very first day on set, too. Yeah. yeah. Ed, I know you, you were nodding along, you know, obviously taking off your producer hat or creator hat and stepping in front of the camera. I mean, how do you wear all those hats at the same time? Because in River Falls, you're doing a bit of everything. I think it just comes down to, you know, finding the, the best people that you can to surround yourself with. And, um, you know, Mike Schur was, was a dear friend from the office. And he really was instrumental in helping create Andy Bernard. We used to like just hang out and riff about what dumb shit Andy <laughs> thought or would say or, or the, the, his like backstory and just crack each other up. And uh, I really give Mike a lot of credit for kind of like helping me think about who Andy Bernard was. And then of course Andy became this like very, very meaningful chapter of my life. So Mike felt like somebody I always wanted to return to and, and, and just uh, collaborate with. And then Sierra is someone we kind of lucked into uh, developing a show with her. My company developed a show with Sierra uh, that, that, that didn't go anywhere, but the great part about that was becoming friends with Sierra and sort of like understanding and, and being really inspired by her insight and creativity and uh, and then the three of us just when, as soon as we got together it just felt like oh this is every day the ball it just the ball kept rolling forward and we spent we developed Rutherford Falls under no with no context it wasn't like it wasn't no studio asked us to do it it was something we were just we would meet in Mike's office every week for months and just throw like a giant dookie session, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and just like throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. And, um, and I really credit that collaboration with like 
uh, allowing me the sort of freedom to uh, to feel like I can play all those roles, you know, EP and co-creator and actor. Craig, what about you? Because you also have experience doing both acting and producing at the same time. What's your question? <laughs> How do you kind of go about and balancing those two roles in a, in a part like this? I defer and delegate. I have my manager who's like my producing partner who handles a lot of the, you know, we discuss everything, but you know what I'm saying? I'm not like, I'm focusing on the acting of uh, Killing It. Who's all watching Killing It, by the way? Anybody see it? It's not what the numbers say. But, uh, <laughs> we appreciate you. We appreciate you. But yeah, production is, is like I said, getting together and just, and one, one, the thing that really has risen out of this conversation is you got to throw something against the wall and see what sticks. And that, you know, that's been hammered home now three times. But uh, production is, is getting together and, and you know, figuring out and, and getting up like minds and then, you know, adding on to these companies get together. You know, it's, it's all pieces to puzzles and y'all, you just, you know, you're there along the way with your yes or no or this is how I feel. X for you, do you have a want to do more of the behind the scenes stuff as well? Um, yeah, I do do it. I've been producing since I was 19. So I've been, I started producing, writing, and directing at 19. Like most black people, we start off like in church. If you come, like, come up in the hood, you don't have really like access or really like opportunities and stuff like that. So I came up during like the whole era of like Tyler Perry when he first boomed. And I was like, oh, so this is how it goes. You have to write your own shit, make it, and this is how you make it in this business. So I set out at 19 to do that. I went to film school around 24. I started my own little small production company and I'm from LA so all these like reality show bitches that are famous now they weren't in 2010 and I was doing their pilots um, and they're trash um, not the people the pilots I'm sorry to say that not I'm the glad people. you clarified because I thought yeah. you meant that the people were trash <laughs> Like, oh damn! No, the, these basketball wives, bitches. They're so sweet. They fed me. They're so sweet. They're just, they're so sweet. But yeah, so I started doing that, and then um, I went to UCB. I started around like 2016, and when I went there, uh, it was very white, and so I was just like, oh, uh, I don't see where I kind of fit in. And then I saw the amazing, the icon Natasha Rothwell do improv, and I literally saw myself physically and just. Um, her POV, um, just the inflection in her, in her voice, how free she was on stage. I was like, oh, I can do this. So then um, what I started doing is I realized that the numbers were so small at UCB because we do not finish the program to be eligible to audition, to be on a house team, which is like the whole reason for being at UCB. So any black person that I saw, I attacked them. I was like, what is your name? Give me your email. And so what I did was I started creating this small little list and I started asking people at UCB to donate their time. And we had these POC comedy groups because they did not give, what well, it was like five categories of scholarships. So it was LGBTQ, people over 40, people with disabilities, um, black or POC, and then veterans. So out of those five groups with 35 scholarships, how many black people are in here? So I said, what if they knew that they had a group that they could come to? And then I opened it up to black and POC. So we had Asian, Latino, um, Iranian, different people. And so from there, I started my own sketch comedy show called Who Made the Potato Salad? And that was in 2017. Uh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. 
Yes, and so if, if you don't uh, know who made the potato salad is a question we commonly pose at cookouts. Like, it seems very simple. It seems like it's just a couple ingredients, but people like to make it an ambrosia salad. They like to put peaches and shit. So we're just like, you know, it's just not what it is. So Who Made the Potato Salad is a sketch comedy show that's produced by us and for us. And in the pandemic, I pivoted from doing live sketch comedy, obviously because black people were like the most vulnerable to this virus. So to be responsible, we started doing panels so I can educate my community on the business of entertainment. And then we did workshops. We did a late night workshop where I allowed 200 people to submit. And then from there, we picked the top 25. And because I came from The Daily Show and I have friends at Amber Ruffin and Deza Samero, we mentored 25 people and made a mock episode of Late Night and from that one of our mentees got hired as a digital producer at The Daily Show. So I'm doing the work and I've been doing the work and I'm very proud of that. Incredible. All right, I want to open it up to some audience questions here. I think someone's coming around with a mic, so if you have a question, just raise your hand. Hey guys, uh, my question is for Craig and Ed and I'm kind of curious when the last time you guys saw each other was. Uh, was it that was it the threesome? Yeah. <laughs> With Patrice? <laughs> the threesome With at Rain's house. Rain wasn't there, but it was. Yeah, right. oh. um, it was pre pandemic, yeah. Yeah, for sure, pre pandemic. Um. <laughs> pre pandemic, I'm not sure. I don't know the answer to that question. It's an odd question. But uh, but it was it's been a couple of years since I've seen you for sure. Uh, uh, at least at least we've been on email chains. It's not like we've been completely out of touch. It's like the uh, the Avengers or some shit. Somebody's like, hey, there's a there's a, a child in the hospital. Everybody jumps on and like, send the videos. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Hi there. Uh, first of all, just want to say thank you all for spending time with us this afternoon. Um, my questions for Ed Helms. I'm sorry, Egg Helms. Um, I, I know it's not the show you're not, you're not here to talk about, but during the pandemic, um, I found Auntie Donna, and I really, really loved it. And I just was hoping you could talk about like how you came to be involved uh, with those guys in that show. So Auntie Donna is a show that was on, that my company produced, and it was on Netflix. And it's a sketch comedy show with these three Australian guys, and it is completely batshit crazy and insane and hilarious, and it was 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, and Netflix was like, nope, no more. <laughs> and, um, and I really appreciate you asking about it. I'm so proud uh, of that show. And I suggest everyone go out and watch it. Auntie Donna, um, what was the question? Oh, just how did we get involved? So they were doing, these three guys were doing live shows all over the world, really, Australia and in, uh, in, in the US, and, um, one of uh, this guy that works in our company was just obsessed with them and he kept showing us their videos. They had a huge uh, YouTube following. And we were like, this is a no brainer. Let's, let's see if we can give these guys a bigger platform. And Netflix jumped on board and then jumped immediately off board. As they do. Let's back up. Oh, okay, so there's a bit in it where I appear I make a cameo in a sketch as the produce, as, as Ed Helms, the producer of the show, but they start saying, Ed, so what's this? And I'm like, guys, why, why do you keep calling me Ed? And they're like, well, that's your name. I'm like, no, my name is Egg, Egg Helms. And they're like, no, your name is Ed. It's right here on IMDb. I'm like, IMDb is wrong. I'm Egg Helms. And I get 
I get in this screaming fight with them about the fact that my name is Egg Helms. And uh, the answer to your question is no, that was not my idea. It, was, it came from the brilliant minds of Auntie Donna. Hi. So as you guys kind of touched on already, a lot of people turn to comedy as sort of like a way to escape from the reality of life, the pandemic, you know, everything that's going on. But at the same time, you guys have and use so well your platform to sort of create that distance that you can talk about issues that um, are more approachable when you do it in a funny way. So my question is, where do you strike that balance between creating that escapism but also sort of touching on issues? Um, so many of you strike it so well, so I'm wondering if you have a process for that. Phil? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you know, so, you, know you just start. <laughs> You, know, you take out your computer. You know, click, 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 click. Um, <laughs> don't know His where that came question. from. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. That, does that answer your question? No. Um, I think you know. Again, I, I've been on shows that have have done it really well. I mean, whether it be sketch like Key and Peele, I think they were masters of being like, here's how to take this thing that is kind of sensitive and taboo and just make make it really really funny. Um, down to like Brooklyn Nine Nine, I had an opportunity to write the uh, episode called Moo Moo, which is like about police, you know, police stuff and all, all that. Um, and so I think it's learning from those experiences how to make the, 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 the sensitive topic, like honor that in a way that um, you're not making light of it, but also figure out ways from the characters that you have to kind of make the most fun and, and, and funny moments. Also, I think there is something comforting about not ignoring the issues, right? Uh, and so I think as, as much as, you know, you want this, I, I want Grand Crew to be a show like where it's like, oh, this feels good. It's like sometimes feeling good is being like, oh, they think that too. They, 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 they feel that way too. Oh, like I, I've, I've vented to friends like that about the headlines and stuff like that. So I think, and I have an advertising background too. So a lot of, a lot of times in advertising, it's like, what's the insight? What's the human thing that's going to make somebody say, I like that. I am that. I felt that. I, I believe what they're saying. And so I think it's, trying to hone in on an insight and then finding the comedy off of that insight. And that's kind of how um, I approach it in the, in the writer's room. Yeah, I was, uh, I told you guys, so I was at The Daily Show for three years. So we, I was there during, you know, Trump's reign. Um, so it was terrible. I had to get Twitter because they were like, he's going to pull his dick out any moment, X. You got to get Twitter. Because I, I do not do Twitter. That's where demons roam. Um, but... So for me, what I like to do, because um, uh, I remember there was a time, Trump did something so fucked up. I think this when he hit up the Taliban on 9-11 and then posted it on Twitter and was like, yeah, I hit up the Taliban, I could do that. You know, I'm the president. And so I really went to my boss and I was like, Jube, like there's no joke here. Like I literally had been there maybe about six months and like he performed some like Jedi shit on me. He looked me in my eyes like piercingly. He was like, X there's always a joke. And I was like, oh shit. And so I wrote 12 fucking jokes and I'm like, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I'm such an uh, actor and a feelings person. And I'm like, this is disrespectful. All I have is just words, I don't have jokes. So now, you know, I'm kind of fucked up cause I make a joke about everything. But, um, but I, what I will say is that you could like in, I don't know any other term to say it, but in late night we say gang, like you gang out different things. So like um, T.I. who's a rapper, who's very dumb, please don't support him. Um, he, uh, 
he did some dumb shit where he likes to go in when his daughter gets her shit checked for her hymen. He wants to make sure the shit's intact. It's fucking weird, right? So when I was thinking of different jokes, I was like, oh, his dumb ass thinks the only way you can fucking break your hymen is through sex. And I was like, stupid ass, she could go horseback riding, or she could sit on a cucumber. Or like, you know, like I was like, there's so many different ways. So when you're like approaching different jokes and like, oh, there's a fucked up thing, like think of the fucked up thing. And it's like, oh, what are different ways that I can approach this? And what I would do is like when we would get called, they'd be like, gang, Trump, you know, is filling nipples, they would be like, okay, so what different jokes can I write about him? And I would do like 12 or 13. And literally, there's some study that I saw, I don't remember it, where the location is from. This is very bad, I'm so sorry. But this psychologist who's much smarter than me said like the way that our brains work, like we produce shit, hello Dookie Sessions, call back, and you do <laughs> get it out. And then like the first 10 things you do is shit. The next eight, kinda okay. Next five, we're getting somewhere. Last two, all right. And one of those will use. So it's just kind of like, you. It's, it's really like, I think if we approach comedy like we do basketball, I approach it like reps, you would never get on a fucking court one day, the first day and think you're gonna be Jordan. You'd be like, I gotta shoot this shit a lot. So that's how I approach it and I feel like if any of you here wanna write comedy or do that, if you approach it that way and just as reps, you're gonna fucking suck. I was ass at The Daily Show. I sucked. Trevor liked me and I made him laugh. Like, we would be shooting the shit, that's the only fucking way that I lasted as long as I did. And I after the first year, I was like, fuck, I got it. Because you have to know how to write for another voice. This is not the X Mayo show. So when Lizzo does some dumb shit, he can't say what I say, because I'm a big black woman. You know, he's a light-skinned uh, African, um, middle-framed. He's not plus-size. So it's just kind of like, it's, it's difficult, you know? So I hope that helped. And that's what I meant when I said, you know, you open up the laptop and, you know, you just, uh, you know, you just, <laughs> yeah, I just interpret it. Yes, just interpret it. That's translated. We said the same thing, babe. Thanks, Zach. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Hi. Uh, first, thanks for coming to my birthday party. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Hallelujah! To you. Happy birthday! Happy birthday, dear Jared. Darren. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. The question, though, uh, since most of you have uh, background in comedy, how, what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's been doing stand-up for a long time to break into the entertainment industry? I, I'm, I'm not sure what, you, what, you, what your end goal is. Uh, to be Asian Jim, but on longer. Asian Jim, but on long, like from the office to episode? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But on TV longer? Correct, he was on okay. for like two minutes. Okay. If I can break it for five. Are you gonna listen, motherfucker? <laughs> God damn! <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. And you got to uh, do exactly what you just did till you gotta make some noise. 
You gotta be unforgettable. And you made a room full of people laugh in like five seconds. So you gotta just, you know, stay the course and, uh, and be open to festivals. And, and I don't, I'm, like I said, I don't know your angle. If you just wanna be on TV for two minutes, you still gotta study your ass off in acting and everything else. Those people that's on there, it's sometimes no, Cuba Gooden Jr. was in fucking uh, Coming to America with no lines. He was just sitting there smiling in, in a barber chair. So um, I forgot where I was going with that, but. <laughs> but it's, and you gotta go hard. You gotta go harder. You gotta do comedy every night. You know, and, and, and believe in yourself and fucking see opportunity and climb it. Don't run away from it. I would also just add that I would suggest that you expand the scope of your goals because the office is no longer on the air. <laughs> and, and Randall Park was already Asian Jim. And I don't think that that opportunity will come up again. So I think you should maybe expand your your aspirations. Facts. Imagine what it looks like outside of that. So I struggle with this exact issue because me and X were talking about it. Comedian and the word comedian looks different nowadays and we always have a foreword to present before comedian, like internet comedian. What was the other one you said, X? Uh, stand, stand up, up. Right. there's people who do characters, clown. Right, sketch yeah. comedian, exactly. And I'm a very different form of comedian. I did not want to be called the C word for a long time. I was like, that's, that has a whole other definition than what I do. And going into unscripted, going into scripted, like bringing my voice into all of that too is pulling from my experiences. Your question earlier was like, how do you make the spoonful of sugar help the medicine go down effect? That's what we did in our show, Lies On Demand. It's a YouTube original show. Hey, oh, thank you. Hey, what, that's what the numbers showed, exactly, just one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, that was exactly the same exact thing of like pulling from experiences of what is it like to be this ethnically ambiguous little brown girl in this world and what happens to me. I'm from Texas, H-Town represent. Let's go. And y'all know you say woo, but we also say sorry a lot. We say sorry all the time. And that's, see, I'm trying to rap as well as I can with my honky tonk boots and everything. I'll see y'all at the barbecue after and I will bring a shitty potato salad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> We say sorry so much. And there was this whole episode about you know women saying sorry and not being able to stop saying sorry. We have another episode about body dysmorphia. We have another episode about this, I accidentally sneezed in this white man's DNA test and he turns out he thinks he's Indian now. That's, that's the reason why I'm brown. I'm sorry it was so mysterious, but yes. Uh, and so that whole episode is about him you know, taking advantage of the fact that he might be Indian now. His daughter's trying to get a scholarship because she thinks she's Indian slash Native American. Wrong Indian, girl. Like the whole... The whole show is about that spoonful of sugar medicine go down effect. So I think it's really, to go back to your question, really pulling from your own experiences, what makes you uniquely you, and imagining outside of what you've already seen on TV and putting yourself you know, in a new space and creating that new space environment for yourself. Absolutely, yeah. I got a quick little build. I thought I was, I thought, I, used to, I, I said before I used to work in advertising and when I was in New York working in advertising, I thought that my trajectory, my hope was to become an actor so if you had asked the version of myself 10 years ago that said, oh, you kind of made things work in the entertainment industry, I would have said, oh, cool, the acting stuff worked out, but I'm a writer, <laughs> I'm a showrunner. So I think, to Ed's point, it's like, if you're interested in entertainment and comedy, not to say do things that you don't like, but if you like directing, I say direct a thing, man. If you like writing, man, write that pilot, write that play, because you never know what door of opportunity is gonna open for you. And for me, it was a bunch of 
failed auditions, and then I wrote a pilot, and then all of a sudden, uh, I'm writing for a, one of the best sketch shows uh, that there ever were. You know what I mean? So I think it's like, just follow, follow, follow the energy, and don't, don't you might have a, a specific vision, but that vision may not, might not pay off the way that you see it in the long term, but as long as you keep working, um, that's really what matters. So. Also, too, a lot of people, when they say those types of things like that, this is no disrespect, but you have to ask yourself, do you want to work or do you want to be famous? Because there's so many ways for you to work. Like, when people want to make a late-night show where you can do it and you can execute it to the most excellent level on YouTube, right? Like, if you, like, hey, I want to do, like, political comedy where you can do jokes and write them and you can, like, write them up on Twitter and do that. So it's just kind of like, if you want to do movies, you can make that. Like, we have so many things that are accessible, and you say you've been doing this for 13 years. Like, I started auditioning at 12. I booked my first series, Regular World, at 33. So this is 21 years of no. So you don't know when that's going to happen. Leslie Jones got on one at 46. So I, if that's your goal, and, you're, and it's contingent upon an industry where you don't have to be good, you just have to be beautiful and have value, high value, meaning like a name, like, I don't know what's going to happen for you. That's just some real talk. And also, no shade, but you live in Austin. Like, it's happening in LA, New York, or if you were in Atlanta, like it, it's about where the connections are. Like I'm from LA and then I moved to New York. I got into the room at The Daily Show. I was performing improv with someone for a year and didn't know they were a, pro a producer there. But I was in New York, I was in the shit. You should definitely be where it's happening because you could be the greatest comedian here in Austin, but when you go to New York, that's the NBA. So you're doing like street ball here, but the big boys is up, up there. You feel me? So that's just my little two cents as well. Happy birthday, asshole. <laughs> Let's give it up for this entire so panel. Good. Thank you guys so much for coming out. There's only you in my life. The only thing that's right. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas, between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.